Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. And we're going to challenge you to transform your financial future through the principles of the most profitable business in the world, banking. We believe everyone should be involved in two businesses, the business that you're in and the banking business. Everyday people can replicate what bankers have been doing for centuries to leverage capital and build wealth through private lending. Join us as we uncover the truths about money, expose lies and myths, and flip conventional financial advice on its head. Here we go. All right, we're back. What's been going on, Paul? Well, I grew up my hair a little bit. Yeah, you're you're completely, man. You know they say get an some, officer never needs a haircut. Get some bangs. Yeah, bangs. <laughs> what is this? The nineties? I got some bangs. Get some bangs. My son has hockey hair. Um, one of them right now, and it's getting really bad. It's it's just greasy looking. But next yeah. weekend, he says he's going to shave. He's just going to buzz his head. Him and a buddy. Uh, I said, well, make sure your buddy does it first so he doesn't back out after he sees you with a buzzed head. That's true. That's yeah. good advice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. But I kind of like his hair now. But I'm happy to see it go, too. Yeah. I don't know. My dad was a big stickler on our hair when we were kids. One time when I was uh, – I had two brothers. I have two brothers. Uh, my mom was gone for the evening and she came home. We were in bed. She came home to kiss us goodnight. And she put her hand on her head and screamed because none of us had any hair. My dad just buzzed all of our heads while she was gone. And uh yeah. I could I, see I could see Dave Dave Sr. doing that. Yeah, you spent some time with Dave Sr. Yeah. Spent yeah. a lot of time. Yeah. You fun. can definitely you could you could see him doing that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh well, all right, man. Uh, I hey, we figured we would do another frequently asked questions episode. We did a couple of those early on, but we haven't done one in, in quite some time. Yeah, it's so, been a minute. Yeah, it has, and we may be hitting on some questions that we've answered previously in in podcast episodes. But I think what I've learned when I've talked to more people who listen, people rarely go back and start from the beginning. You know, they start listening to maybe the the most recent ones. So, um. Maybe uh, this is for those of us who have those of you who haven't been with us from the beginning. Um, but these are also great questions for a lot of people who are who already have policies, and um, you know you, we kind of get the same recurring questions from people. So uh, we'll just dive into to them. And as always, email us with your questions so we can bring them up and and we'll knock them out at the beginning of an episode or do another FAQ episode. So we love answering questions. Um, all right, I'll throw the first one at you, Paul. Uh, which company is the best for infinite banking? Hmm. Well, I've got my personal opinion, but I don't think we really talk about companies uh, or endorse certain companies in this podcast. Here's what I would say. And we've kind of covered this sporadically throughout the podcasts, uh, all, several episodes probably. But, you know, you want one that's very old. The mutuals are all pretty old, you know, over a hundred years, steady dividend history for that hundred plus year period, you know, without interruption, that's another criteria. So I think it's more criteria based than name based. There's, there's ones that are different sizes. You know, there's the big four, you can look up what the big four mutual life insurance companies are on, on Google. Are they necessarily the best suited for IBC? Not in my opinion, they're not. Um, IBC Policy structure for IBC have more to do with flexibility 
and um, the ability to you know do certain things and, and incorporate certain designs into a particular person's life um, and their financial picture at that at that moment in time. So and in, in, in the future as well. So uh, I don't. I'm not going to name a company. I think a lot of people that know us well know what company we prefer. I have all of my dividend-paying whole life insurance policies with that company, and um, and I'll I'll continue to to go there for for my personal needs uh, as time goes on. But there's a lot of good mutuals out there, Dave, and yeah. and uh, I don't think you can necessarily make a a bad choice if that if that's helpful. Right, and especially if you're working with an IBC practitioner they're going to be using a, a company that's suitable for IBC. So th- yeah, there's several that are used. Um, so I'd say it's more important to find somebody to work with uh, who knows what they're doing and can set it up properly like an IBC practitioner. Uh, and then they'll most likely be using the right company for that. Yeah, as a as a kind of related question, Dave, a lot of people will kind of stumble upon if they're if they're really reading close, direct recognition versus non-direct. Okay. And you know we have the we have a little you know we have a little group that we uh, little mastermind group that we belong to, and we kind of josh each other back and forth because there's some direct recognition guys in there, there's some non-direct, there's guys that have used both. Um, and it's always funny to just kind of go back and forth. It, it you know I've heard anecdotally that it really doesn't matter, but from a from my personal point of view, I prefer non-direct. Yeah, me too, just because I always have loans out and non-direct just means they don't recognize the loans. They pay you the, the full dividend on the entire amount as if you had no loans. Out, outstanding. That's right. Um, so you and I always have uh, a large amount of loans out most often. So, yep, good. I agree. Um, all right, next one. I'll read this one to you. Okay. We can change it up a little. All right. Ready? Yeah. Why hasn't my financial advisor ever told me about this? Good question. I would ask your financial advisor that question first and ask them, why haven't you told me about this? Um, maybe they don't know about it, which is very plausible. Uh, this is not just because somebody does money management for a living doesn't mean they've ever heard of this. Or maybe they, they've heard of it and because it's you it's the, the process is performed with a whole life insurance policy and they're adamantly against whole life insurance then they don't even give it the time of day so i think it comes back to a lot of people's ideology of whole life insurance is it good is it bad um the fact is that there's no one size fits all um what else though would doing something like this um how would that act against your financial advisor who, how does how do financial advisors get paid predominantly is fees yeah fees and yeah from amu assets or aum assets under management yep right well guess what your your policy premium and your cash value does not count as assets under management for a financial planner um so they're not going to get they're going to get paid once on it you know you know there's there's recurring revenue on that but it's it's nowhere near what they might receive by managing that money actively under their control. So yep. that could be another reason. <clears throat> yeah, and a secondary reason that's related is that you're, you know, we deal a lot of military people and but a lot of a lot of financial planners are what is called captive. They're a captive agent with some sort of um, 
you know, I, I'd say agency or, or, or custodian, custodial financial company that, uh, you know, we've been associated with a few or a couple of our, ourselves in the past, but, right. um, and they can only sell the products that they're, you know, and they're 1099 people, but they can only sell the products that their, you know, company offers. And more often than not, there's, that does not include participating whole life includes other things, but not that. And it may include whole life, but it wouldn't include participating in other words, dividend paying whole life insurance. Right. Um, so, uh, maybe, yeah, maybe the answer is they can't offer it. So right. even, yeah, even they if they can. wanted to, they can't. So, uh, but again, uh, the answer to that is, I don't know, ask your financial advisor directly. Um, but uh, I was talking to a, a young guy today who said his, he asked his financial advisor about it and he said, no way, don't do that. Just by term, by term, by term, by term. But you know, this guy's wife actually wanted whole life because she has some, some history in her family of people, you know, maybe going too soon and, um, but maybe going after a term limit would have expired. Sure. In that late fifties, early sixties range somewhere. Yeah. Or even beyond, you know, 65 or something. Um, when people retire, they get rid of the term or whatever, but, uh, yeah. So, um, well, you know, and to add on to that, why isn't everybody doing this, Paul? Well, we've touched upon this before too. And I think that, um, let's face it, we're programmed to think that we're not intelligent enough to control our own wealth. So we hand it over to a money manager. Hold on. My dog's barking. Sorry, everybody. (laughs) We can hear you just fine. Proceed. Proceed. (laughs) So we hand our money over because that's what all of our friends are doing, all of our coworkers, and and that's just what we do. And I think that if that's what your dad did and that's what your mom did, yet we had our money guy. I've got clients that have their family financial person and their their parents use them. Yeah. Right. And it just it just continues on down the line. And I I think that's the biggest that's the biggest hurdle to get over. Yeah. No, that that's a huge hurdle, right? Because if if everybody else is doing it, then it feels a lot safer, and maybe that's the right way to do it. Um, but also, you know, everybody isn't doing this because there's there's limited advertising. I mean, no life insurance companies advertise infinite banking. They just they don't, right? They advertise their cash value life insurance, but they don't advertise it for the purposes of creating a banking system. Um, there's a lot of reasons why they don't do it. Um, it doesn't mean they're against it. Uh, there might be a company here or there that is against it, and we'll talk about that, but it doesn't mean they're against it. Um, but they also don't have the the advertising budget that the hedge funds have, that the big money managers have, the Edward Jones, you know, the 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 Merrill Lynch's like they've got huge budgets for advertising to bring people in. Life insurance companies don't necessarily put the same money towards that. No, they they don't. I mean, you just recently in the last decade or so started seeing commercials like USAA, which is a stock company, folks. It's not a mutual company, but it's it's all over the place now with the NFL. And yeah, that that popped in my mind because somebody had a Facebook post today of how crappy their service had become. I, personally, I've had good, a good experience. But anyway, that's beside the point. But you're right. They don't typically the mutuals folks are very lean. Um even even, you know, rel- compared to there's not all these people just sitting around to take your phone call. 
you know, to, you know, conduct some policy service, like a loan or a change of address or something, right? There's just not, they're very small. It'd be, it would shock you to know how many people worked at these places. Yeah, true. Um, but guess what? They're profitable. That's the, that's the idea. They get, they're profitable and they can meet their obligations in the future. That's what the most important thing is. But again, they're not banks. They're not brokerage houses. They're none of those things. And that's, <laughs> Dave, that's the most appealing thing, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, that's why we put our money there, right? Last week's episode was a perfect example of why we don't keep a whole lot of money in commercial banks. So, um, yeah, exactly. Yep. Not, not much. Although, yeah, not much. Not much. <laughs> yeah. Just, it's in transit generally when it's going from, from policy to bank to something else. Yep. And back. Exactly. Back. All right. So next, how much should my premium be, Paul? Probably well, one of the most common questions, right? It's a very common question. And I like, you know, of course, the easy answer is it depends, right? Depends on how much money you make. Depends what your human life value is. Do you want to become your own banker uh, as, fa as quickly as possible and as efficiently as possible? There's a lot of things that go into it. A lot of people just dip their toes in, don't they, Dave? Like, yep. ooh, you know, it's it's kind of a lot of premium to pay, but they're... Here's how I gauge that their 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 I guess level of um, clarity on IBC is that when they're asking me how much premium can I pay, vice that question, what should my premium be? Because a lot of people look at this from a million dollar policy perspective or a two million dollar policy. How much is that going to cost me in premium? And that's the that I think that's the wrong way. Well, maybe not the wrong way, but it's I don't think it's necessarily the the first way you should be looking at the infinite banking concept. We're trying to solve our need for finance by creating a banking system through whole life, dividend paying whole life insurance. So I don't, you know, we we have some general recommendations, right? It's going to be based on your income, maybe a percentage of your income. We've talked about that in, in past episodes. Right. Um, but I, I tell people, listen, I, as, as you're, Income increases, your premiums should increase. This should not be a one and done scenario if you really, really understand the process of IBC. Right. Um, and another thing to add is you, you start where you're at. So some people might say, hey, should I wait until I, I'm making a lot more money to start this? That makes sense to me because then I can have a bigger policy. Um, no, you start where you're at. You no, know, your your income will increase, and we can, if you can, forecast that increase in income because a lot of you know we work with a lot of pilots, uh, maybe commercial airline pilots, and they know exactly how much they're going to make next year, because every year you're a pilot, you get a step increase, and then you you make captain, and then you get a big increase, so they can forecast that. So we want to build room, if possible, for that policy to accept more premium. Um, to accept enough so that they don't have to come back a year later for a second policy. I mean, I'm happy to write a second policy on somebody, but if we can create a, a, a better policy in the first year, um, and what that comes down to is them thinking, thinking it through. So really putting the thought into it and saying, yep, yeah, I'm comfortable doing this much premium and I, and I know, you know I'm expecting to have this much more income coming in. So I need somewhere to put that. So let's, let's make this 
policy big enough to accept that. Yeah, and you've alluded to that before with policy design in pa past episodes with setting the base premium as what you're comfortable with absolutely every year. And then up and above that, right, is your PUA premium, which should make you sweat, I think is what you said, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just a little bit. No, just sweat just a little bit. It shouldn't keep you up at night. I, I'll say this. My, I pay, a, and you do as well, we pay an enormous amount of premium. None of it makes me sweat. Um, and I think that comes with time. Yeah. When you re Again, folks, when you really understand what's going on, and that mindset kind of switches from my premium is a bill to my premium is a, a deposit in my infinite banking system, your, your mindset totally changes. I don't look at these as, I look forward, I can't wait to pay the next premium. And that's a weird... Nobody likes to pay any kind of insurance premium, let's right. face it. But you're going to love paying this one. Yep, absolutely. Um, all right, so kind of to piggyback on that, a common um, objection is a whole life is too expensive. Hmm. So let's talk about whole life being too expensive. So what, what are your thoughts on that? I on the surface, it seems like it is because let's say you have a million dollars of death benefit that you need or you want to purchase. Obviously, the premium for the term policy, whether it's a 10, a 20 or a 30 year term, is going to be less than the whole life insurance premium to get that same amount of pure death benefit, right? Right. What, what isn't talked about ever by the financial entertainers of the world is what happens on the back end of that term. I mean, how many people do we know that have gotten, you know, married again in their 40s and had other children? You know, they've got the kids that are in their teens and then they have right. newborns in their 40s. There's, that's very common now. Yeah. So you're telling me when that guy is 60 and his, you know, kid is 16 or something, like he doesn't still need life insurance? Of course he does. Yeah, like he'll, he'll magically have no need for it. Well, you know, if you put your money into mutual funds and you pay off your house, you're not going to need life insurance. Well... What if something doesn't go as planned? What if there's a pandemic? What if, what if the stock market tumbles? What if, what if, what if? Um, Social security's not there to pay me my annuity that I paid into or, um, oh no, I need the money and my, my house is paid off but the banks aren't lending against home equity right now because of whatever, like. Yeah. So they missed the point. They missed the point of controlling the banking function. They can't think long range. They can't think of, Everything's just going to work out magically perfect and everything's going to be great after handing your money over to, to whoever for 40 years. Yep. Anyway, none of those things are likely true. And of course, I'm painting with a broad brush. Some people it's going to work out fine. But other people, and David Stearns touched upon this at, at the think tank the previous year about you know, the tale of two fathers or whatever. And how, you know, comparing Nelson to his own, his own father. And at the end of life, what that all looked like, yep. traditional versus kind of Nelson Nash. Uh, and Nelson's was much better, obviously. Um, so it's it's not too expensive. And we can actually show you very simply how what the cost is. Uh, you know, you end up with more cash value, way more than you have paid in premium. You're going to end up with way more death benefit for your heirs and your legacy than you've paid in premium. Dividends are going to be many times over what the premium is, even your base and PUA premium combined. The dividend is going to eventually be lar a lot larger than that number. 
right? Um, especially when you start start young. So no, it, it's not too too expensive. It just it might seem like it is without a more detailed analysis into actually what is occurring behind the scenes. And I'll show right. I mean, if you can get everything back that you ever put into something and more, then without really tax. without ta tax free, then you really haven't lost anything, right? Now, note what they don't mention also is that term insurance. Let's say you're you're 30 years old and you get a 30 year term policy because now you seems have a family. Reasonable. Seems reasonable. Now you have a family, you know. But 30 years from now, your kids will be graduated from college. Uh, you'll be close to retirement. You'll have your nest egg built. You won't need life insurance anymore. If if you die, your your spouse will be fine with all the other assets you built. Okay. But let's just look at it from the light of how much money do you spend? Let's say you're just spending a hundred bucks a month on term insurance. You you pay that a hundred dollars a month for 30 years. You spent $36,000 on something that you're not going to get back, not a penny, because chances are you're going to live beyond 60. There's about a 99% chance you're going to live beyond 60 years old. So you're taking a 1% bet. You're, you're paying $36,000 to cover something that you have a 1% chance of, of needing, you know, right. and, and the only way to win with term life insurance is to die young, unfortunately. That's right. And folks, when Dave said 1%, what he's referring to is that statistically speaking, term insurance pays out around 1% of the time, give or take. Right. It's a huge moneymaker for life insurance companies. Oh, no, no doubt. It's the Enormous. most, it's probably their, between that and Universal, it's probably their two favorite products because they. Right. Because <laughs> they win, the house wins. The house, 99 the house wins. 99% of the right? times. So yeah. with whole life, you know, I, I say this to people sometimes, you know, term life insurance is there if you die. Whole life insurance will be there when you die. There's a huge difference. Oh, that's a good, I've never heard that before. You thank never you. Told me I actually, that. Made, the, I actually really good. made that up. That's good because it will be. It's guaranteed to be there. It's going to last one day longer than you. That's that's what I always tell people. That's right. And the other thing, Dave, while we're on the topic of whole life, is that people ignore people ignore the or they well they don't ignore it. They don't know that the passive income qualities of this product, tax free passive income, later in life when you need it. Right. Because the policies mature. The dividends are huge. The cat, the contract is still growing every day. You know, it's they they ignore the, the the fact that they can take out that money and never have to pay it back. Most likely, when when done properly. Right. Yep. Good. And you know, not to say there's not a, a use for term. We both have a lot of term riders in our policy, and maybe even a, an extra term policy that we plan to convert later. Um, so there's absolutely a need for term, and that need, in my opinion, is to max out your human life value. Yes, if you don't have the cash flow to fully insure your human life value, you need to bridge that gap. And that's what we recommend, quite honestly. I do it in my own personal life. Yeah. I bridge that gap with convertible terms. So as my income rises, I can slowly convert some or all of that term into permanent insurance and have the yep. ability to pay premium over the over the long haul. So anyway, yeah, it's a great strategy. It has yep. its place for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, next, let's. Uh, man, we we still got several questions to go here. Let's try to burn through these a little, a little more efficiently. So, should I, should I first, Paul? I've got a policy. It's in force. I've got a loan out, um, and I've got I've got a chunk of cash that I can put back towards the policy. Should I apply it towards the outstanding loan, or should I apply it towards the remaining premium I have to pay? Uh, or you know, paid up additions that I can still fund for this policy year. Which which should I do first? 
I felt like this horse got beat to death the other day in our little mastermind. It did, man. <laughs> we went back and forth. It was like a Saturday morning, and I had a you know a couple cups cups of coffee in me, so I, I was ready to go. Yeah, I I liked my answer. It was very short. It was very sweet. What was it? I don't remember, but I think it, it was kind of like it depends. And then I got my balls busted for the non-direct recognition, direct recognition conversation. <laughs> but that's not what I, what I was talking about. I think it depends on timing and sequence of money and that person's personal situation. Now, it might, I mean, I, I don't know if there's a right answer, to be honest with you. I think it really depends on when is this event supposed to occur. Um, and I know that 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 was a deep part of the conversation of, of, of was timing and and all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I don't I think we're splitting hairs, I think is what I said. OK, so you think whether you pay back your loan or you pay your your paid up additions, um, either one is fine. Uh, I don't think you're making a bad decision either way. There might be one that's if you did the Excel calculation. Like, oh, this came out better, you know, 40 years down the road. I have an extra, you know, $500 of cash value or something. I, I don't yeah. know. I'm making things up, but it's, yeah. I, I don't it, know if it's that important of a, of a, I guess I'll, I'll give you my opinion because maybe yeah, you and I ahead. actually differ on something here. I think it's more important to pay that paid up addition. If you still have PUA on the table by the end of the year, you need to, in, in my opinion, take advantage of that, fund the PUA because that's going to be working for you for the rest of your life. Right? Yep. Going to buy death benefits, going to create cash value. It's going to work for you for the rest of your life. Um, you can always repay the loan with the next check. Um, but I say take advantage of your full premium every single policy year. Maximize that premium. Now, yep. you also have to, of course, have a loan repayment plan. Like you can't just go without paying loans ever and only fund your premium. Like you need to pay those loans back at some point. Um, so right. again, it, it depends. It's individual, but in general, if you're a responsible um, user of the infinite banking concept, uh, and and you have a plan to pay those loans back, you know, I, I still think it's it's better to fully fund that PUA uh, and then repay the loan. Yeah, and that's what I do from a from a personal level. I pay my entire premium, then I work on the loans. Yeah, because I, I I do agree with you. I just I remember that discussion. And guys, they, they must have been going for like 10, 15 minutes on, on Voxer just talking about this stuff. Yeah. I was like, please make it stop. <laughs> <laughs> We're just trying to, you know, get everybody engaged on a Saturday. But I will say, I think the direct recognition, non-direct recognition conversation was a valid point, de just depending. Right? Okay. Yeah, you got a point there. So I guess bottom line, this is too tough for a, a cookie cutter answer. Um, contact your agent. When you, you know, when you come to that bridge before you cross it, call your your IBC practitioner agent and say, "Here's here's my scenario. What should I do?" I think Nelson would have said, or James would have said, "You know, the banker can do whatever he wants." True, you can do whatever you want. That's my and, final answer. Well, and then you're not going to make a wrong decision either way. Just get that money back in your policy, one way or yeah. another. Either way, you're giving money uh, to a company that you're part owner of. Yep. And you get to use that money again whenever you want. That's right. Either way. Yep. Okay, cool. Um, so speaking of policy loans, what should I use my loan for, Paul? Let's say I have, um, I, I've got a car loan payment. 
but I also have an opportunity to to do some private lending that's very safe where I can earn 10% a year. Uh, but my car loan payment is 6%, you know, and it's kind of dragging me down. Like, what mm. should I do with my cash value if I could choose between those two things? Well, I suppose you could use um, use that money to create some passive cash flow uh, if that's your thing, right? That might be your thing, right? Um, and that could pay that car note for you, maybe. And then people say, well, so you pay that car note with that. Once that note's paid off, now that money would get directed back against the policy loan, right? Um, you could do, you could just sit on it. You could, I mean, you could do a, a number of things. Again, the, the banker the can do whatever he wants. Banker can do whatever he wants. That's a great, great answer. And also, it may not, you know, the, the most efficient and productive use of your money is certainly a consideration, but there's also the consideration of um, your emotional health and your relationship sure. with with your your wife or husband like how is how would it affect paying off all that debt for you guys like would that be such a weight off your shoulders you could sit down sigh breath of relief and smile and and go out to dinner um or or you know would putting that money in the investment would that cause extra stress because you're not paying yeah. off that debt so think think that through too because it's really we're not dogmatic about it. it's all about the numbers there's one way to be the most you know most productive use of your cash. Um, you got to take the emotions into account too. Yeah. I kind of feel if you can make the payment and uh, you don't feel like doing something else with the money, just leave just leave it in there. Stay liquid, maintain the ability to pay off that debt, but just keep making the payment. And then if you can't make the payment, then take a policy loan and make the payment. But some, yeah. I think being heavily liquid uh, during certain times is also, I know I feel great when I have no policy loans out, no, no you know, just, just sitting fat waiting for the next thing. I love that. Yeah, that was me recently until an opportunity came along that I I was like, okay, I'm taking that opportunity. And now I got a big fat policy loan again that I have to repay. But I'm yeah. okay with that because the opportunity was, in my opinion, too good to pass up. Right on. Yeah, yeah me too. Yep. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, okay, so here we're coming up on 30 minutes, but we got a few more here how about this one what are some other resources that i can check out like hey paul and dave we love you guys like we love listening to your podcast and you know i don't need any other resources because i get all my questions answered here with just you guys you guys are phenomenal blah 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 i mean Incredible. yeah i'm just it, it wasn't me that said that i was just repeating what i heard anyway uh but what if somebody wants something in addition to paul and dave um, what are some resources that you like to point people towards? Um, of course, Nelson's first book, but, uh, I think we have a lot of readers that listen to this podcast. So what are some, some books you would recommend? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, there's Nelson's second book right there. Wealth yep. Warehouse or building your warehouse of wealth, excuse yeah. me, of which our podcast is named after. Yep. Uh, there's how privatized banking really works, which is also, um, you know, Carlos Lara and, and Bob Murphy. And that's a great book as well. I think I've had some clients say that that was uh, the book that they should have read first because it kind of goes into a little more detail about fractional reserve banking. And yeah, I think it's stuff. a must read if you want to understand our economy. Our, yeah, it uh, is. I mean, if, <clears throat> if you really want to know the problem, I mean, the Creature from Jekyll Island uh, or In the Fed by Ron Paul is uh, our two great books. The, the latter being the shorter version of, of that. There's um, 
there's a book by a little obscure book um by Eustace Mullins where is it it's up there somewhere it's a gold book um secrets of the federal reserve is is that okay. one but that really gets to the if you want to know the problem it's not going to make you happy but you at least know what the problem is and why we're in this predicament why two parents have to work now to make ends meet unless right. they're you know married to a professional athlete or something um but also there's there's other podcasts out there you know James and Ryan's podcast is outstanding yep. uh, J- John's podcast and John's good podcast um there's um Ryan Griggs has some videos. I like kind of sending people to those that don't know about whole, they don't know what whole life insurance is. So I direct them to his free seven part series on the mechanics of whole life insurance. Yeah. If you really want to get into what whole life insurance is in addition to, you know, infinite banking, but really whole life, um, you know, concentrated then yeah, that's on YouTube. Oh, that's free. Yeah, it's free. And I send people, I send people your video quite often, your little four minute and 29 second video that you've had on YouTube for the last three years. It's yep. very good, very simple. You have like a new version out there. Well, there's two versions. I paid a guy to kind of spruce it up and, and okay. you know, I tried out a different version of it. So um, just to I'll see. Have to watch, I'll have to watch that one. I mean, it's the same. It's just a different intro. There's some music okay. and some different videos, whatever. Okay. That one's got like 70,000 views, I think, or something. Or oh, I haven't even checked that one recently. Cool. Or maybe it was seven. I don't know. It was a lot. Yeah. Um, so those are all great recommendations. The only one I would add is I like The Power of Zero is another really good book yeah. by David McKnight that um, he, the only difference is he's a big IUL fan. We are not. So just replace anything in there that talks about IUL with whole life. And then he talks about the LERP, Life Insurance Retirement Plan, which I, I don't know if that's a, a phrase he coined himself, but it sounds like an official product. I actually had a client of mine contact me after he read that book. He's like, why didn't you tell me about a LERP? I should have done that. I was like, you did do that. It's just, we didn't call it a LERP. So it's, uh, but that LERP, just whole life insurance, is it's the same thing. But that's a great book on, um, uh, a super easy read too. Yep, I've read that one. It was a recommendation from one of the guys at the hunting trip. Nice guy. Yeah. Well, let's let's hit two more final questions, um, and then we'll cut this off. The, the last two we have written down there. Um, why don't I take the? I'll, to, I'll uh, ask you the first one. You can ask me that last one. So, hey, I heard recently, Paul, that some companies don't allow IBC. Um, perhaps one of the big four sent out a big letter saying we don't, we won't allow you to do banking policies, etc. Um, what do you say? What do you have to say about that? Yeah, I think what they were trying to get after is they have some agents or people contracted with them that are out there on on the YouTubes um, using their illustrations in, in live Q&As and, and, and presentations and other things uh, without, you know, without um, <clears throat> redacting any of that information. Uh, and I don't think they appreciate that because the word banking is used and this and that. And there's some regulatory stuff in there, maybe. Um, so maybe they just. I don't know why they don't like it, but that doesn't mean with that particular company that you can't get a properly structured dividend paying whole life insurance contract through which to practice IBC. You absolutely can. Right. Um, and I've got one. And you, ha- and you have one. I have right. one that's and, yeah, about 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a couple of clients um, that have, that have uh, policies from that, from that company. Right. So it doesn't, 
it doesn't mean you can't use that company. Uh, but again, do I think that's the best company to use for IBC? No, I, I don't. Um, but there yeah. it is. But they it's... were cracking down on some internet stuff. Right. Yeah, but speaking from firsthand experience, writing policies for that company, which I, I do a little bit of work for that company um, when I need to, uh, they don't have any issue at all with anything I've ever designed. Right. That's so right. it's it's fine. They have a paid up editions rider. They just call it something silly. They just call it something different. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. Ready for this one? Yep. All right. What does the underwriting process look like? Good question, Paul. So the underwriting process, I tell people on average, it takes four to six weeks to get a, a, a response from the insurance company on whether you're approved or denied. Um, it could be very quick, uh, but more often than not, you're going to need a medical exam. What that is, is a quick uh, blood and urine sample, uh, an EKG if you're 40 or, or older. Somebody will come out to your house and do all that for you. They'll be in and out in 45 minutes, and it doesn't cost you a dime. Um, and it doesn't obligate you to anything. So after that, if there's any red flags whatsoever, they might ask for medical records, which that's that's the process that really, that, that step right there really slows the process down because these clinics are unresponsive. They'll take a month to fulfill that request and then the case just sits open. Um, yep. So, but there's ways for us to push that by you calling the clinic directly and saying, hey, fill this request. I'm the patient. I want you to do this, do it. Um, but four to six weeks, we get an answer. And during that time, we can design the policy. So as soon as they say you're approved and here's your rating, we can hit the go button and get started. Yeah, I don't think I would add anything to that. But uh, yeah, the medical piece can take some time uh, occasionally or a lot of the time. Yeah. You're spot on. Right. Very frustrating. Yep, it can be, but it's out of kind of out of our control. But we we do whatever we can to make to push that. So yeah. Well, all right, man. Cool. That was good. Uh, like I said, anybody, if you have any more questions, just email us, leave comments on the YouTube videos. We'll get to those as well. If we don't answer those directly on the YouTube um, video, we'll, we'll reference them in a future podcast episode. So, all right. That's all I got. Yeah, I'm good. I need to go eat and then get ready for our, uh, get ready for tonight. Yeah, we got our live, uh, our second webinar tonight. So uh, next week we'll have a, a link out for, the the webinar will will hold in april so stay tuned right. for that um and until then control your capital or somebody else will hey thanks for listening everybody if you'd like to have a conversation with us to see how you can become your own banker or if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to tackle on a future episode please send us an email to david and paul at the ibcguys.com and subscribe and leave us a review if you're on apple follow and leave us a five-star review if you're on spotify and please share this with your friends we'll see you next week